Praise the Lord. Turn your Bible tonight to Psalm 8. Psalm 8. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Scripture. That's what we'll have overhead today, or tonight, and also uh, that's what uh, the Pew Bibles uh, on the back of your pew are. Please feel free to use anything that you have. We are living in such a wonderful day because the availability of God's Word to us is greater than ever before. And what's wonderful is it's not only greater to us, it's greater to people around this world. And uh, their, their technology is reaching into places that missionaries will never be able to go. But technology is reaching them, and we're so, we're so grateful. I know, I know that the devil's using technology too. I know that. But we need to also realize what God's up to. And uh, let me in, encourage you and encourage myself, let's take advantage of that when it comes to our own personal reading and study of God's Word. And if you just feel like that you're just too busy to read it, listen to it. When you get in your car, if you've got a, a smartphone, you can pull up a, something like a version Bible app, hit play, it'll, it'll read it to you. But let's, let's educate ourselves in the Word of God. All right, Psalm 8, verses 1 through 9. In fact, it's the entire, entirety of that psalm. To the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of David, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beast of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O oh Lord, our God, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Speaking simply on the subject, what is man? What is man? Father, in Jesus' name, Thank you for this opportunity. Speak to us in and through your word. I don't believe that there is any time in your word that is wasted. And I'm praying that you would touch us. Lord, give us a sense of anticipation and expectation that you're going to help us and move us and challenge us and change us through your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give the Lord another hand clap of praise. Amen. Amen. Many years ago at Harvard University, when Emerson Hall, which is the, uh, the seat, the building that the philosophy department uh, uh, holds, as it was being built, they were getting close to the finish and they wanted to know what 
inscription they could put above the doorway as you entered Emerson Hall. And so the philosophy professors voted and they came up with a quote from the Greek philosopher Protagoras. And his quote said this, Man is the measure of all things. That was what they decided to put there. Well, Harvard University broke for the summer and the college president changed what the inscription would be while the philosophy professors were gone. And instead, when they got back, they read that he had had this inscribed, the words of Psalm 8, 4, What is man that thou art mindful of him? To many people, it is that man is the center of the universe, man, mankind, humankind. Somebody said if it were uh, in, uh, engraved today, it wouldn't say man is the measure of all things. It would say humankind is the measure of all things because that would be too gender specific. Someone else speculated that it might would say, especially at a place like Harvard, what is God that man is mindful of him. That seems to be the way that many people live today. But the scripture says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? David wrote this psalm, uh, psalm, or it's attributed to him, and he probably is the author thereof. And first thing that he talks about in this psalm is the providence of God. Providence is an old word. You don't hear that word much anymore. It was a favorite word, a favorite euphemism for God to our founding fathers. Over and over again, they talked about, the prov talked about providence, meaning God, the providence of God. Psalm 1, 8 uh, our 8 1 says that, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We know that the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof. We know he owns all the silver and all the gold. Somebody thinks that Satan is the God of this earth. He is not the God of this earth. He is the God of this world. And being the God of this world, he means he's a God of this worldly system. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And you look around at all of the spectacular creation that we have in this earth and that his name is excellent in the earth. And then he has set his glory not just in the heavens but above the heavens, beyond the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God. God's glory is seen in creation. It's seen in the vastness of space. It's seen in the beauty of space. It's seen in the sprawling prairies of the Middle West, it is seen in the beautiful Rocky Mountains, it is seen in the glory of Okefenokee Swamp, it is seen down in the beaches of Florida, it is seen on the rocky shores of California, everywhere that you go up in Alaska, uh, there in the beautiful uh, country and mountains around Alaska, if you go over to the Swiss Alps, if you go to the beauty of the Mediterranean, if you go down to South America and see the beauty of the Amazon and the jungles, everywhere that you go, there is the glory of the Lord. Now listen, Satan has created or corrupted rather this earth and uh, this earth lives under a curse and if we're talking in biblical history, somewhere between six and 10,000 years that we have labored since the sin of Adam and Eve and yet in all of that time and all of the corruption that Satan has brought to humankind and brought to the earth and that mankind has done in the earth, 
it still has not put a dent in the glory and the beauty of this world. And even though man is trying to conquer space, in fact, our president just created a space force. <laughs> We've got a new branch of the military now called the space force. But even man's forays into space have not corrupted it. We still see the beauty of space. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then this is one of those now, I don't know if this generation would understand what I'm talking about here because uh, um, it's a technology that's a little old, but it's coming back, actually. Vinyl records are actually coming back. There's a niche movement for records. But how many remembers when you would uh, be listening to a record, whether it was a 78 or a 45 or a 33 and a third long play, if you ever moved that needle a little bit, off to it go anybody remember that that sound this next verse kind of feels that way it kind of feels like a, a kind of a discordant view of what he's talking about he's talking about the glory of God in the heavens and then the earth and then all of a sudden he, out of nowhere the psalmist pulls this this thought out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants have you ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger that doesn't seem to fit with anything that the psalm is saying. But to me, it's saying this, that the same God that sprinkled the stars in the heaven, the same God that keeps the earth and the planets spinning on their axis, the same God that polishes the sun, the same God that uh, keeps the moon just the right distance from the earth and vice versa and causes the tides to roll, the same God that has mounded up the mountains and, and uh, divvied out the oceans in his span, that same God is the same God that touches and blesses the little child. And that even in, in the, the, the stammering lips of a little uh, infant uh, going around, the Word of God has power. Have you ever been around uh, a little toddler just learning to walk and he's been in church and he'll start saying things like praise the Lord? Have you ever been around a little infant that you said you can say to him, praise the Lord, and they'll go like this right here. They'll, I, well, I, if I had a microphone, I wouldn't be able to do that. They, they just threw their hands up right like that. You ever seen anyone do that? I've seen some uh, infants that go to a Pentecostal church like this you lay hands on them, they'll just fall straight out. Amen. And somebody says, well, I don't think children ought to be playing church, but I'm going to tell you, when that's what they're exposed to, that's what they know. I was talking to the Lord the other day, and I said, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't know why you put this in me, but when I was a little three years old, uh, wandering around, I'd get the, a little New Testament, go around and go, that, 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 that. And somebody said, you preaching don't make more sense than that. Now, but, it, but, but I do that. Why? Because there was something in me that wanted to declare uh, the works of God and declare the praise of God. That even in the mouth of babes and infants, that same God that created the universe is the one that wove those children together in their mother's womb and he gave them a tongue to praise him. And Jesus himself quoted this scripture when the children were praising him on that triumphal entry in Jerusalem and uh, they were saying, blessed uh, is the king that comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees wanted him to hush. And Jesus said, hadn't you ever heard out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast perfected praise. And so God is able to use a little child to do his work. In fact, let me tell you that one of God's little ones, when they are born again, 
when they accepted the Lord. And I know there are people, I had a boss one time tell me he didn't think children ought to make a commitment to Jesus because they didn't know what they were doing. But I'm going to tell you, I was about six years old when I got saved, maybe five, uh, five, five to six years old. And I'm going to tell you, I knew what I was doing, and praise God, it stuck. He, not that I stuck with him, but he stuck with me all of these years. And I'm going to tell you, it's a wonderful thing when a child comes to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus had something to say about that. He said, don't you keep them little children from coming to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And when God touches a little child and a little child has the presence of Jesus through the Spirit of God in his life, he's got more authority and more power in his little pinky than every devil in hell because greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. And the same God that created the stars and space and the heavens and the heavens beyond the heavens, the same God that created the earth and all of its beauty, the same God of creation is the God that created the little baby and the little baby can praise and worship the Lord. And then the psalmist said, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained, he said, this causes me to wonder. When I see the greatness of God revealed in something as large as the heavens and something as small as a child. When I see the greatness of God, I have to ask, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man that you would visit him or watch him. After all, how many knows that we are just dust? In fact, most of the dust in your house is you. <laughs> it's dead skin cells flaking off. That makes you feel good, doesn't it? And God knows it, Psalm 103, 14, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we're dust. So all we are is dust. Papa Peavy had a little dog one time named Tippy that he loved so much. Those of you that remember my papa, he was a sport dandy and he loved Tippy. One day they lived there in Waycross, busy road. One day Tippy got to catch it, uh, chasing after a car and he caught it <laughs> or got caught by it. And Tippy died. Papa told us, he said, I had a little funeral service for Tippy and buried him. Said a few words over him, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. If you'd stayed out of that road, you'd still been with us, he said. <laughs> and that's what we are. We're just dust. The Lord knows it. But you know, even dust has some use. Now, this is science for you right here. Uh, at the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School in New Jersey, a chemist by the name of Charles Wessler has found that dust being partly made up of dead skin cells, that the skin oils uh, contain what is called squalene. And squalene is a, chip, a chemical that scrubs the ozone out of the air. So they actually looked in, into uh, uh, airplane cabins and tested and saw that the, that the, the dust, the skin cells, 
had this squalene oil in them and it helped reduce the ozone levels in the cabin. And then they studied children's bedrooms and found that the dust in children's bedrooms could eliminate up from 2 to 15% of the ozone that is in typically in the air. In other words, dust has the ability to clean the air. We've got a much cleaner house than I previously thought. In fact, under my bed may be the safest place in the world. <laughs> it is when crystal's on a squall anyway, <laughs> amen. So we have, even the dust has some use. Now, my many, many faults, don't say amen again, Crystal. My many faults and failures are proof that I am dust. But my victories are proof of what God can do with just dust. Amen. That the Lord knows what we're made out of. And the psalmist had to ask, he said, What is man that thou art mindful of him? What is the son of man that you visit him or care for him or watch over him? And then he answers his own question. We've been talking about the providence of God that causes the psalmist to pose the question. But now in the answer, we see the prominence of man. He answers his own question. He said, what is man that you would visit him? And then he said, you have made him a little lower than the angels. I'm going to tell you, one angel killed over what is about 120,000 soldiers. Revelation sees an angel that puts one foot in the sea and one foot on land. You hear all these people talk about when angels, they get these angelic visions that are so comforting to them, and maybe they have, but that's not the, that's not the response that people in Scripture had to angels. They always fell down before them in fear when they saw an angel. And God said, or the psalmist said, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you've made man just a little lower than the angels. Now, I don't want to get run out of here. I'm just telling you what the text says, so please don't be upset with me. And I've not gone all new age on you, but I, I will tell you in the Greek, this is not the word that is normally reserved for angel. This is not seraphim and it's not cherubim. It's not the word for angel. It's not even the word for messenger. It is actually Elohim, which is the name of God. Now that, that word Elohim is a complicated word because it is used of God, the only God, our God but it is also used of, of beings that are in power. It is, it is also translated in Scripture sometime with the little g, like the gods of the Canaanites and the gods of the Persians and the gods of the Philistines and the gods of the Amorites. It's also translated, it's just a generic word for God. And sometimes it's translated for people that are in power, people like judges or men that have might people that sit in authority. As far as I can tell, at least in the King James Version, this is the only place that it's translated angels, which kind of makes me think that the translators of the King James Version were a little bit afraid <laughs> and didn't want to presume too much. Now, we're not all little gods wandering around. There's one God, and He is manifested in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost, and those three are one, and there is one God. 
and we're not him. That's a fundamental theological truth that you would do well to remember and it would set you free if you'd remember there's one God and I ain't him. But I want you to know that the Lord has crowned mankind with a lot more authority and a lot more intelligence and a lot more responsibility and power than most men and women want to accept. That God has made us a little lower than himself. Do you realize that God did not, when he called, when he spoke, and up out of the ground came cows and chickens and uh, birds filled the air and fish filled the sea and all manner of four-footed beasts and the dinosaurs and all of those kinds of things and horses and buffaloes and all of that kind of, and lions and elephants and all that. To none of them did he step back and say, I'm going to make them like me. There's only one created being in the world that God said, I'm going to give a part of myself to. I'm going to make them in my image. And God made man in his own image. You shouldn't take that to mean that you think God has a nose or ears or hands. We talk about God in that way because that's the only way we can talk about God. But God is a spirit. God is not a man. God is a spirit. But the Bible says that God made man in his own image and then it said male and female created he them. There's something about the human personality that bears the, what is called the imago Dei, the image of God. We were created in the image of God Almighty. God created man in his own image and then he went further than that. He reached down and breathed into man his own breath. So that man didn't just get animated. He wasn't just alive. He was a living soul. I hate to tell you this, but your dog, as wonderful as they are, they don't have a soul. They, they don't have a living spirit. Somebody said all dogs go to heaven. I don't know. If there is a dog in heaven, bogey will sure go. Paisley, so sure about it. But heaven's a place that's reserved for men and women that were created in the image of God and have the breath of God in their body. We're not just highly evolved animals. Now science can put us into the category of the animal kingdom if they want to for the sake of categorizing us. We are mammals in that sense. But we are create, specially created beings of God. God got down in the mire and the muck, if you can think of him in those terms, and sculpted the intricate parts of the human body. He made mankind, and he still does it. Every child is threaded together by the hand of God. But Jeremiah said, you knew me. You saw me in my mother's womb. You wove me together in my mother's womb. The prominence of man. The prominence of man is demonstrated in two categories. Number one, it is demonstrated in how God has encrusted man. The word encrusted means like jewel bedecked. When you take something and encrust it with jewels, God has encrusted man. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Mankind 
has been crowned with glory and honor. Even though we're just dust. God created us from the dust, created us in his image, breathed his breath into us, and mankind has been crowned. Isaiah 50, uh, uh, 45 and 3 said, I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hidden riches of the secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. Down uh, at a huge assembly of God down in, uh, in Florida, over on the panhandle side, there's a lady there whose ministry is to go into the strip clubs and witness to uh, the strippers, the exotic dancers, <coughs> excuse me, and try to win them to the Lord. And she has over the years won so many to the Lord and rescued them. And this verse is her theme verse. It's that God showed me many years ago that there are treasures in dark places. That there are hidden riches in secret places. If we could understand the value of a man, the value of a woman, the value of a human soul, we'd all run down here to the sand ridge and say, there's buried treasure down here. We'd go to the foster homes and realize that there are little children that are growing up unwanted little children that are absolute treasures in the eyes of God. We would see in the back alleys, we would see to those that are laid up in some crack house. We'd see that the prostitute turning tricks down on the Sunset Strip. We'd say it's a dark place, but there's some treasures hidden in those dark places. Because I know that we're living in a humanistic society. I know a man should not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. I know that what we have, our overemphasis on self-esteem has caused us to raise a generation that's not any better, but they feel a lot better about being bad. I get all of that, but I'm going to tell you that the Christian approach to humankind to men and women is not that they're so sorry, they're so low, nobody wants to have anything to do with them. It is that they have fallen because of sin from a high and lofty perch and God has called us to go and bring them back for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God thought so much of all of those low, dirty sinners like me and you that he shed the blood of his own son, the most precious thing in the universe. He shed that blood in order to purchase and buy them back. That's what God thinks of men and women. Fallen, yes. Broken, yes. But not without value of unestimable worth is what God thinks of mankind. You've, you've crowned him. Jesus talked about the pearl of great price. And I, I think it's okay to apply that title to Jesus, that he's the pearl of great price. But I think what that, what that uh, 
uh, parable was really saying when Jesus said, as man found a pearl in the field, went and sold everything he had, bought the field and got the pearl. I think what Jesus was really saying there is that me, the son of man, left the glory of heaven. I gave it all up to come to earth to find the pearls of great price, the hidden treasures in dark places. But God has not only encrusted man and crowned him with glory and honor, but man, God has also entrusted man. God has given man responsibility. Verse 6 and 7 uh, and 8, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. God has given to mankind the responsibility of dominion over the earth. We are the caretakers of this world. And that's why even though y'all know, I've said it a thousand times, I mean, one of my worst fears is that somebody would think I'm a liberal, okay? <laughs> I'm a conservative, but I'm going to tell you the conservative approach. Think about being conservative. It means to conserve. The conservative approach to our world and our ecology, the conservative approach is not, oh, let's just waste it all and don't worry about it. The Christian and the conservative approach is to be a good steward of our resources, and that includes our natural resources. And I know that there are some that out there that have made, you know, they've made a, a God out of the environment. I know that. I know they've made a God. It's, our, it's their religion. I get that they've gone to an extreme. But the answer to that is not for us to kill, you know, willy-nilly, for us to waste we are the caretakers of this earth. It matters how we treat the earth. It matters how we treat animals. Cruelty to animals reveals a cruel heart. And somebody that is cruel to animals will be cruel to people. And the Bible says that a godly man treats his animals well. Right? Somebody that was normally kind of nasty, kind of short-tempered came up to me the other day and they just put their arm around me and patted me on the back and they said, you know, you're a wonderful person. And I said, what in the world got into you? And they said, well, let's be kind of dumb animal week. <laughs> okay, that didn't happen, but I can envision it happening. God has made us stewards. God has given mankind responsibility for the earth and for the animals, given us dominion. I love what my father-in-law says. My father-in-law says that, that some of these uh, uh, kind of radicals want to kind of eliminate the human footprint out of anything and, and make the environment prist pristine where there's no human imprint, no human footprint. He said, what they don't understand is humans have always been a part of the environment too. <laughs> right? I mean, we're part of the environment too. In fact, we're top of the food chain. I like that, don't you? I like being top of the food chain. In fact, as soon as I leave here, I'm going to prove it. 
But God not only gave us the responsibility of the earth, but now listen, to those that are born again, he's not only given us responsibility, but he has revealed the prominence of man in his thinking because he has made us a repository. He not only encrusts mankind with glory, but he wants to entrust mankind with his own glory. He wants to entrust us with being a repository of his glory, not resting on us from creation, but resting on us from recreation. Not resting on us by generation, but resting on us by regeneration. Not just being on us, but being in us, shining through us. God wants his own presence in us. Have you ever heard of the Hope Diamond? Anybody ever heard of the Hope Diamond? It might be the most famous jewel on earth, that and the Pink Panther Diamond. <laughs> it might be the most famous jewel on earth. I've seen it a couple of times uh, up at the Smithsonian. It's, I, I love that you go to the Smithsonian and look at the Hope Diamond. And, uh, and it, it's absolutely, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's several million dollars in worth now. Big blue diamond. And there was always a rumor of a curse that accompanied the Hope Diamond. But in 1958, Harry Winston donated the Hope Diamond to the Smithsonian Institute. And when he donated the, the Hope Diamond from New York, uh, he stuck it in that plain brown paper envelope he insured it for a million dollars. The postage was $2.44. He dropped it in the mail. His total bill was $145.29 with all the insurance that he purchased. And he mailed it to the Smithsonian in the U.S. mail in a plain paper envelope. Now when God got ready to visit his people and redeem his people, he came not in his brilliance and the effulgence of his glory, he came in a plain wrapper. Romans 8.3 said that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. John 1 said that this word that was in the beginning with God and was God that this word created everything that was, this word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Have you ever thought about that when Judas came to betray Jesus, he had to single him out with a kiss for people to recognize that it was Jesus? That he looked so much like everybody else. In fact, Isaiah said there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. On the contrary, he was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of grief and acquainted with sorrows. There was a song about 20 years ago. I, I can't endorse the singer or the song, but it did prove a point. I asked the question, what if God was one of us? What if God was just another beggar, another bum like us? And that's what Jesus became. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. Isn't that amazing? 
Now here's what's even more amazing. is when God came to earth incarnate, God with meat on him, God with flesh on him, God in a plain wrapper. Now that he has risen again, God wants to still be incarnated in flesh. He still wants to be wrapped in an inferior package. Us. You say, really? Yeah, we're the body of Christ. Right? Amen. Oh, listen. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We have a treasure in earthen vessels. Rick Reiner says that this Greek word for earthen, ostrakanos, he said it described a small, cheap, easily broken pottery made of inferior materials. It was the kind of pottery that was weak and fragile and absolutely valueless. It was bargain basement dishes, primarily used in lower class neighborhoods, purchased by people who couldn't afford any better because the dishes were made of imperfect materials and had defects. And when I read that, I was reminded when I was a kid, I thought that all glassware in the kitchen looked like jelly jars. How many of you remember when you used to could buy jelly that was made? It, it wasn't like taking a mason jar. They made the jelly jar for the express purpose that when you gave out a jelly, you could wash it and use it as a glass. How many of you had a full set of jelly jars? Right? Now listen, if you go to Trump Tower in New York and eat supper, they're not going to put a jelly jar in front of you. Right? But how many of you was glad to have the jelly jars? Now, now what, about, what about if you took your life savings and stuck them in a jelly jar. You would have a treasure in an inferior vessel. In fact, they say about this, uh, uh, this uh, uh, orca, uh, uh, let me see, I gotta, I gotta read it to you. Ostracanos, they said about this Ostracanos, they said because it was such inferior quality and had so many defects that they would paint it to make it look better. And I thought, boy, that'd be a great sermon right there on makeup, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, you think about this body. How much do we do to try to dress up this body? People that have more money than they do class, they get to stressing and stretching. And Anybody ever seen Kenny Rogers in the last couple of years? You know, Kenny's very feeble and he walks like this and the reason that he walks like that is because all the skin in his behind has been pulled up to his face. I mean, he's just like that. Right? We do everything we can to dress it up, to prop it up. And it's inferior material, isn't it? 
because it came from dust and guess where it's headed? Back to dust. And we have this treasure. Here's somebody bought a bargain basement pitcher of clay and set it on the table and took and stuck in it something that's beyond value. In fact, the word ostracanos is where we get the word ostracized from. To ostracize a person means that we regard a person as substandard, unfit, inferior, low grade, mediocre, shoddy, second rate, substandard. And I'm going to tell you, the the world likes to ostracize us. The world likes to vilify us and the world likes to underestimate us. You know, to all all those cool people, all those shows you my age, hip people, all those, all those people in my generation, they would have been rad, you know. <laughs> all those people, those Hollywood types, those beautiful people that are living the dream, they think that you and I are absolute fools at best and bigots at worst. More and more in our society, we're being ostracized We're thought inferior and substandard, but that's okay because we got a treasure in this old earth investment. It's not what's on the outside, it's what's on the inside that counts. Well, Dad used to work with a guy. Some of you might know him, so I won't say too much about him. He used to work with a guy that, that... owned a business besides his regular job and he would take the cash out of the cash register from that business and at night he'd come home with big old wads of money and he would put it in an empty cardboard carton container of ice cream. All the ice cream had been eaten. He'd put the money in that ice cream container and put it in his freezer. That was until his daughter cleaned out the freezer one night. And at least the story he was told (laughs) is that she threw the, the carton away. At midnight, he was out in the dump with a flashlight sorting through empty ice cream carton containers because there was a treasure in that old ice cream carton. It's okay. I'm just an old ice cream cart. Not worth a whole lot. But by the grace of God, I got a treasure on the inside of me. Amen. Well, this psalm ends as it begins. It ends with the praise of man to God. We had the providence of God. We had the prominence of man. And now we end with the praise of man to God. Oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Started off talking about the, the majesty, how majestic the name of the Lord with, uh, was. Jack Hayford 
wonderful preacher from out in, in California. Jack Hayford, uh, I, I met him. I met him one time. I was in a in a class with him one time, and I was actually in the men's room, and I had on I think I had on my pink seersucker jacket, and uh, I was looking in the mirror, and he came by, and he said, "You look dapper." I don't know. <laughs> Only person I ever known to use the term dapper, but he said, "You look dapper." But Jack Hayford was. About 25 years ago or so, he was in England. And he just happened to be in England during the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. And he had seen all of the pomp and circumstance, all of the majesty that royalty was afforded. And he was riding in his car and he was thinking on those thoughts. And he turned to his wife and he said, write this down. And there began to formulate in his mind the beginnings of a song. And this was the lyrics to the song. Majesty, worship his majesty. Unto Jesus be all glory and honor and praise. Majesty, worship his majesty. Majesty, kingdom authority flows from the throne unto his own, his anthem raise. What this psalmist is saying in this psalm is just that, that all the majesty belongs to our God. But he's such a great and wonderful God that his majesty flows from his throne unto his own. And we respond by raising an anthem of praise back to him. When we know who we are in God, when we know who God created us to be, and then we find our identity in Jesus and we find that restoration and reconciliation with him, it doesn't cause us to strut around and feel like we're more than we should be. It causes us to kneel in grateful humility to the God of gods, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords and thank Him and praise Him and say, O oh Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Your name in all the earth. Amen. Would you stand? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we've tried to share your word tonight. We're asking, oh God, that you would help us to discover who you created us to be. Lord, not, not, Lord, so that we can have an ego problem, but so one, Lord, we can demonstrate to you in our praise and in our worship our love and gratitude to you. But then second, Lord, so that we can demonstrate to the world in our works so that the, those in the world can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, help us to rise. Lord, to where you've called us to be, be what you've created us to be. 
give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name, head or bow, eyes are closed. If you're saved, lift your hand. Praise God. Aren't you glad about it? Aren't you glad about it? Thank God. Now, as nobody's looking around, if you're here tonight and you're not saved, lift your hand. Say, pray for me. How about this? If you if you've drifted away from God, would you be honest enough to lift your hand? Say, pray for me. All right, look at me. I wanna, I want, I'm gonna let everybody look for this one, but I want you to be honest. How many of you, by God's word, know who you are? Come on. Now let me ask you this question. This will be a little harder to raise your hand. How many of you also by God's word realize that sometimes you fall woefully short of being who you're supposed to be? <laughs> well, how many want that treasure? See, that's the second part of that verse. We have a treasure in earth and vessel that the power may be of God and not of man. There's a power that radiates from us and through us to live the way we should. And I, I'm not... You know, when I raise my hand and I say I'm not all I need to be, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that when we do that, that doesn't mean that we're living a double life or that we're out there, you know, committing sin willy-nilly. It does mean that sometimes we're not, we don't have our hand to the plow. Sometimes we don't have our knees to the floor. Sometimes we don't have our, our face in the Word of God. Sometimes we're not showing God's word or showing God's love to others. Sometimes we're not witnessing when you think of the awesome responsibility we've had, it can be overwhelming unless we've got the power of God radiating and working in us and through us, right? How many wants more of that in your life? Come on. Amen. Would you come from all over the building? Let's pray together tonight and seek the Lord. Amen.